Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Today, we're very happy to welcome Matthew Kupp from the company Syme. Well, I wanted to pronounce it Seam, which means mountain peak in French. He's French. He's in Montpellier. Um, Matthew, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me today. You make some really interesting software. And Jeff and I have discussed several times on this podcast the problem of platform lock-in. And in this case, the platform is not Mac or Windows. The platform is photo editing software. And once you commit to photo editing software, you're stuck for the rest of your life. And even after you die, your heirs will have to continue paying Adobe (laughs) to access your photos. You seem to have approached that in order to give people a solution to, first of all, either move their library from one photo editing app to another. Second of all, use multiple photo editing apps at the same time. But first, how did you start this? Were you annoyed with the platform lock-in like we are? Um, it didn't really start like that, um, but uh, it started by uh, from, the, from the, the problem I had uh, with uh, being an Aperture user, having lots of uh, Aperture libraries, and then trying to move them to Lightroom. And um, I used the the tool that uh, Adobe and Apple developed together, and uh, I was just stuck there for hours, actually for days, uh, trying to move some li- big libraries, and it didn't work. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really started like that. I wanted just to move my stuff from Aperture to Lightroom, and then I... I looked into the looked into the problem and and saw that there there was an opportunity to uh, um, to allow people to 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 do that and not only to go to Lightroom but to go uh, anywhere else. So this was uh, this was the starting point really. And then after talking to our users and also uh, interacting with the community, I realized that. Um, there was a, a broader need to be able to be really free from, I would say, the, the cataloging part of the uh, of the of the workflow. Uh, once you have your your files in the catalog, uh, often you use the same editing tools that are provided by the catalog. Say, for example, Lightroom. Mm. But uh, you've probably observed the, the the landscape, and you see that there are so many apps out there that that are getting better and better, are doing some incredible stuff in in the uh, in the area of editing of transforming images or doing lots of yeah. uh, very sophisticated things and and people are are willing to to try them out and to to use the best app for the job. Yeah, uh, just before we started recording Jeff and I were discussing that well most people don't really use multiple apps like we do because we're testing them to to write about them to talk about them but I guess more and more as photo editing apps are adding quote, AI tools and machine learning tools, there's more and more temptation to want to try out a new app to see what it can do. Yeah, you would be surprised to, I mean, we were thinking that in the beginning as well, that uh, people are sort of uh, uh, stick to one app and, and maybe they decide as a big move to move to another one. But that's not really what we see in, in the community that we are talking to. Um, many people have uh, have many apps. Uh, like I don't, I don't know the numbers exactly. I could find them out uh, later on, but I think it's about thirty percent of people have more than four apps. And uh, sometimes you come across people that are pros and that are using both Lightroom and Capture One, which are really very similar 
apps mm. in terms of their capabilities of being both a very strong catalog and a very strong editor. So there are people who are who are really moving from one app to the other. And uh, and as you said, I mean there are some very strong uh, uh, new players. I would say in the in the area of AI, for example, where uh, some incredible apps are coming out, and uh, and you want to uh, and you want to use them. Uh, and even though I, I saw that you have a podcast about photomet- photometer, but an app like Pixelmator, for example, is very good at doing stuff that the standard photo editing app are not good at, like uh, doing pixel editing or adding yeah. text or adding stuff like that when when you're done with a photo. And even on, in the photographic uh, realm, I mean, they do some very good stuff in editing editing images. So, yeah, people want to use those apps for specific types of jobs. Well, one of the good things about Photomator is that it is it's an overlay to the Apple Photos library, and I'm sw- I'll explain my path later. But I'm switching to Photomator for that reason because I'd rather have all my stuff in iCloud, and the fact that I can use Photomator with the Apple Photos library without having to have separate catalogs is it's wonderful. It's transparent, and you can then pull in Pixelmator if you want to edit as well through Photomator. Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great uh, app, and it's a great uh, combination of uh, very. Uh, we'd say th- these people they know their they know their stuff, and they they know how to build something really well that is really well integrated with the ecosystem. And you feel it when you start the app; it it feels you feel at home. You feel like you're in yeah. photos, and and that's great. And if you look in the corners, you see that there, are stuff, that there is stuff that's missing and, and because they cannot do it. Uh, uh, they cannot, uh, they're using uh, APIs that are officials. And, and so you cannot change the title. You can ch- add keywords to your photos in Photometer uh, because these APIs, they won't exist. So um, there are a number of things that you cannot do in Photometers, but, but it really looks like Apple Photos. So that, that's, one of the, that's one of the things that is also very inspiring for us in terms of not trying to go to, I mean, to address everything, like by everything I would say, uh, Apple and Windows, it's, we are a small team, so we cannot do it. Uh, but we're trying to to do the, the really the best job we can on on that platform. And, and it's certainly a very inspiring company for, for that in that respect. It amazes me how many uh, solutions have come out of the demise of Aperture uh, you know, we, like we've talked to Nick Bott from Gentleman Coders. He does raw power. I think he still uses Aperture in some form. Um, I think there's somebody put out a hack or something so that you could actually use Aperture in uh, I don't know 64-bit Mac OS. I, I, this was a while ago, but anyway. This is something that has just sort of rolled through the entire photographic community who started with that. And for me, it's an issue of having a whole bunch of things that have collected over time. So even though I think most of my images now are in Lightroom, I still have those aperture libraries that I haven't fully converted because you know it takes time to do that and, and it takes details. Um, and so I think a lot of people are just running into that issue of I have a photo in mind that I know I shot, but it was 15 years ago. So it's not going to be in my current Lightroom library or it might not be in my photos library, but maybe it was in my Aperture library. Maybe it's in an old iPhoto library that didn't get 
converted. And so everything just gets gets all jumbled together. Do you have a sense of of how many people are are dealing with that that big jumble? Or are people more likely to want to just bring things forward? Or does that stuff just get lost in the past? I think you you have uh, various typologies of people and uh, some people want to move their stuff and once for all and then it's it's all done right um and some people first of all some people this i mean they know they have these pictures and and they can't really they, they can't really find the time or the energy or the, the thing to to do the conversion because it kind of freaks them out a little bit because they don't know what they're going to lose and, and it's, yeah so we we really tackle the uh, the um this issue in in, in two, uh, I mean, as a sort of a two-step program. First of all, we we build Avalanche, which is our our first pro- product that lets you really convert uh, images from one catalog type to another. And um, if you are that type of person who wants to move, uh, and you don't have to move everything, but maybe certain parts of your of your history, you want to move it to a new home, and uh, you can do that with Avalanche. And this product has been built to preserve all the metadata, all the structural information about all the keywords, all the organization that you've put into into this um, this catalogs. I mean, we see catalogs where people have created thousands of albums, for example. It's amazing. So you want to preserve that, of course. And in terms of edits, we also build a, a solution where you can preserve a lot of the edits that you've done in the beginning. So if you've done something really sophisticated, it won't preserve it. But they tricks to preserve the 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 view or the preview of what you've done. But we also transfer the edits. And then we also realize that, and I in, my, in that situation, true, that I might not want to, to move those images from those libraries. I Say, for example, from Aperture. Uh, they are just fine there in terms of being an archive that is, that is safe, that is well-organized. Um, but... Um, and I don't want to lose some of the edits if I if I do a migration. So can I use that Aperture library um, and and use it as a as a sort of repository that an other app can look into? And and, and this is why we built Picto. Picto is is a, is an app that can connect all your catalogs, all your sources, and and lets you have this bird's eye view on all your images, whether they are in Aperture, in Lightroom, whether in the new catalogs that you've created. And you can run searches across all of that. So really, we do it. We did the uh, the two way approach for those people who want to migrate. We have a tool, and for those people who just want to see everything together and 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 continue working with the new tools, we have another one. And just to mention the uh, the trick that you were talking about, uh, it's called retroactive. It lets you it used to let you open Aperture on a newer system, but it's now completely broken. So I would okay. recommend, uh, yeah, it works the previews and you wouldn't want to do that anymore. It, it was fine until a few, a few years ago, but now it's, it, uh, it's not a good solution. One of the problems with maintaining old photo apps is that most of them, well, many of them are now subscription-based. So in my case, uh, about 18 months ago, I bought a Leica Q2 monochrome. And I tried a couple of apps and I found that Capture One was really good for that. But Capture One is, I think, 180 pounds a year. 
And I don't appreciate the direction the software is going. It's really designed for pros. It's not designed for people like me. So I want to leave Capture One. And there are other tools. And I tried Photomator. It works really well with the, the black and white files. I can't keep paying for Capture One to keep my files there. If you're in the Adobe industrial complex, like Jeff is, you're not going to move to something else and keep paying for Lightroom. So for a lot of people... The fact that there are subscriptions for this sort of app means that they really just want to move rather than use things concurrently. Yeah, sure. Um, when you, yeah, if you if you have subscriptions to those apps, it 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 starts to become really really expensive. And and uh, I mean, in our case, for example, in the case of Picto, which is uh, which is this sort of aggregator uh, a system that lets you view all your images, you don't have to have running versions of the of the apps to be able to ah, access those okay. images. You don't have to. We we That's read good. those we read those formats natively. So for the same for Aperture, for example, you don't need Aperture to be running on the on the app on the on the Mac to be able to convert or to read, okay. view, to search in in a, in a database. That that was a big part of the of our development initially was to be able to read and write in all those formats, whether it's uh, uh, virtual Lightroom, even IG Media, uh, we, we read uh, all those formats and we write some of them. Like when, you, when we convert to actual one Lightroom, we, mean our, for example, we know how to write the, the database in those formats. So, so we have a, like a graphic converter uh, of photo catalogs, if you want, you can go from almost any format to another one. That's yeah. really important because I hadn't realized that. I had thought that no matter what, in order to get access to my photos, I would have to keep paying Capture One. No, no, no. Um, so basically, you never have to launch the app. You probably don't even need the app installed. As long as you have the catalog file, you can read it. Sure. Of course, if you want to continue interacting with the catalog, like, yeah. Editing it, editing it further. You you have to have the app, of course. But right. if you don't have, you still can read it. You can search for it, and you can move specific images from that catalog to another app. So for example, I can I can open a capture one catalog for which I I don't create no license anymore. So I I just can read from it and send the image to edit in Pixelmator. Right. So I can right click on the image and say edit in Pixelmator. It's going to open Pixelmator and then. This this is going to uh, to work just flawlessly. So this is what we really wanted to establish: is the ability to go from any repository, whether it's live or whether it's uh, it's dormant, in the sense that I don't have the app anymore in which this repository was created, um, or I don't pay a license anymore for this app. Um, well, I can; but these images can still have a life after after that, and, and can be edited, can be in another app. Uh, can be moved, can be exported, etc. And 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 more importantly, can be searched through all the criteria that I I want to use. One part of this, a big part of this, that that interests me is handling edits because. I think at like a really high surface level, you think, oh, I have all of my images in an old catalog. I'll just bring them over. And in some cases, if you're going to do that manually, that could mean. You know, exporting uh, TIFFs or JPEGs of the the edited version. But what if you want to go back? What if you want to you know, actually dig in? And then it just gets really thorny because most 
Not most, but many applications like Lightroom, all the edits are just stored in the catalog. They aren't actually affected on 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 disk. So um, I would love to hear more about how you have worked around that just because it's a problem that I remember looking at long ago and just throw out my arms because it just looked like a huge amount of manual work to try to do this myself. You're right. In most of these apps, like Lightroom, apps in the past, uh, photos, etc. The caption one, of course, uh, an edit that you make is just an instruction that is written in the catalog and that tells the software how to apply certain types of adjustments on top of an image that is the original and that lives on disk. So this happens on the fly. Uh, some apps, they write reviews of the, uh, of, of the edits that, that you do. Like, for example, when you write photos in photos app, and you change the image to black and white, uh, this black and white version is saved on disk uh, just for photos to be quick when you want to go back to this image and so it doesn't have to be computed. Apps like Capture One, for example, they don't do that. They never save any preview. Everything is rendered on reply. That's so, why it's so slow to view photos in Capture <laughs> One. Yeah. Ah. So... So you know, every app has it's very uh, it's very specific, and we uh, we spend months understanding how they work. So yes, so when you when you migrate the catalog from uh, say source A, for example, Lightroom to Capture One, you want to convert essentially all the instructions that um, are written inside of Lightroom into the corresponding instructions that are that. Capture One would have written to do the same thing. So if I change an image to black and white, uh, I want to write the instruction to change to black and white. Uh, if I change the color temperature from the shot color temperature to, for example, 6,000 kelvins, I want to do the corresponding instruction. The problem is that you cannot uh, just write the instruction change to 6,000 kelvins in Capture One because Southern Kelvin in Capture One is a very different looking image from the 6,000 Kelvin in Lightroom. So you have to understand how you move from these instructions to new values in the, in the new software. And uh, this is a typical task for machine learning. So you, you have to teach a system how to go from different settings that you have in the software to, to new settings in another software so that the image's appearance match. And this is a manual process where well, partly manual, partly automatic, but we have to teach the system by looking at thousands of images that have been adjusted, that have been adjusted in all the softwares to, to meet the same result visually. Uh, and so this So wait now, a second. With all the different settings in a photo editing app, exposure and brightness and shadows and highlights, yeah. you have to go through this process with thousands of images for each one of those settings. That's for correct. For each yes. app. Yes, of course, you, you have there are some shortcuts and, and there are some things that are harder to. Uh, I mean, you make also some assumptions um, because it's there are many degrees of freedom in that in that problem, right? So you have to make some assumptions, and uh, uh, we try without uh, um, revealing too many secrets. We try to to make simplifications where we, for example, we don't move everything at the same time. Uh, we don't. We don't create images that have uh, that have all the things that have completely moved randomly. We, we try to to create patterns 
and 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 we we learn from from those from those things. We also, in some instances, can generate images automatically and I invite apps, especially the apps that support app script, for example. So we can generate uh, um, test images, and and then we have some software that tries to find which are the ones that look the same, and then we say, okay, this if they are really really similar in terms of all the histograms and everything. That means that the settings in source in the image A are, are the same as the settings in image B in the new software. So, so we can we can build our, our data sets and then we teach some machine learning algorithm to, to do that machine for any image. Uh, currently, it's restricted to those things like uh, you mentioned brightness, contrast, uh, saturation, uh, etc. But you know, there's there are some things that are really complicated. For example, um, some settings they don't exist in our software. So, for example, yeah. you have a you have vibrancy or saturation coffee level, which I think vibrancy doesn't exist in in uh, in Capture One, uh, but it exists in uh, in uh, in Lightroom. So, if you have an image that has both a setting on saturation and on vibrancy, what's the result in Capture One? Which you can only move saturation, for example, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there are, there are really complex scenarios, and uh, it's not perfect. But what is good, I think, is that uh, we try to assess what went, what, what is probably very, very well uh, preserved from what is probably not very well preserved. So at the end of the conversion, we create specific albums in which we put images that are probably have problems and that you should look at. So you you have at least some. Feedback on what are the images that probably didn't went through uh, went through the process uh, really well, especially if you have a local adjustment, both things you use masks and stuff. They, we don't call up masks for them. I was going to ask about masks, but thank you. That would be super tricky. I mean, yeah. At some point, it's like rewriting some parts of the apps you're trying to migrate to yeah. and add it to beyond the, what we can do. And just to reiterate, the results of all these, these are still non-destructive. You can go in and say, the white balance was still a little bit off. I can just go in and tweak the white balance and there you go. You still have all the flexibility of being able to edit even after the conversion. Yes, absolutely. We, 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 what we do, the end result of this conversion, that catalog that contains the, uh, the preference in the images, the master images that, you, that were in your original catalog, and in, on which we've added all the adjustments. There's no if or whatever export that is created. We just uh, recreate those instructions. And we also recreate the variations. If you have, for example, versions, like you have a Lightroom that called virtual copies, but uh, and in Chihuahua that called variants, they don't exist in the Apple products. Um, so um, we recreate those as well. Oh, nice. This is fascinating. I didn't realize how complex it would be to do that. Now, on the one hand, you have an advantage that when the software is updated, they're not going to change the core things like brightness and contrast and shadows and things like that. So once you've got that down, it shouldn't change too much. But when one of these apps comes out with a new feature, how much time do you have to spend to update all of your software to be able to understand that new feature? Well, it, it depends. As there are some things that uh, are easy to do. For example, uh, let's assume uh, Lightroom uh, re uh, releases a version, what could it be, 13? Yeah. What happens is that we can still continue to export to version 12, 
and then rely on Lightroom's internal migration process from 12 to 13. And I'm sure that Lightroom does it well. I mean, uh, ah, okay. uh, so so we, we are not stressed by by time to create, to, to retest everything on Lightroom right. 13. So this is why usually when a new major version comes out, we do not uh, add, uh, propose the export in the new version until after a few weeks or months. Yeah. So we have enough time to test. Um, but we do have to follow what's, what is happening because sometimes they change uh, their database format and they change things that could break the migration, the, the, especially yeah. the, the reading part of the of the thing. So we, we have to follow closely what, what's happening. Do, do companies like Adobe like you? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, you know, we, we it's... Um, for some companies, I mean, we, we, we definitely help a lot of people to go to Lightroom from, say, Aperture or other systems. Mm. So, um, yeah, so they want, they want to help you help those people move to Lightroom. Yeah. Yes. But they so don't want to help you move away from Lightroom. <laughs> that's, that, yeah. Yeah. Clearly, clearly prob- I mean, so there, there is, a, yeah, it's, a, there are two, two sides to the coin, really. And yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we it's the same. I mean, Capture One has a very good relation with them. Um, they understand the value of helping people to go to Capture One. And we help many, many people to go to Capture One who are fed up with Adobe's yeah. uh, sort of business model or who wanted yeah. just to try Capture One because the, the software is really appealing and, and they wanted to go a little bit more pro. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't think they like uh, they, they they like when when we when we help when we help their business of course and, and yeah. there is a there is a flip side to that that we can also but in a way other. you're kind of reverse engineering all of these different apps and sure. the software companies don't always like that yeah I'm, I know I know but uh, um, my answer to that is that uh, if you look at uh, I mean look at the testimonies of those people who are stuck in uh, yeah. You know, just to give you a benchmark, I mean, uh, some people who had uh, relatively large catalogs and tried to move out of Aperture to Lightroom, they, I remember what, after a few days, she, she was still waiting for that uh, spinning wheel to finish or to tell something about the process, and the process was stuck. Um, and I, I had the same experience, I told you in the beginning of the interview. When she tried Avalanche, it, it took one and one and a half hour to to go to yeah. use those images, and she was. I mean, she was. She could just couldn't believe her, her eyes how easy it was. So, yeah. and and the result is just great. So, of course, they, they probably don't like that we reverse engineer, but we solve a lot of issues for yeah for customers that can become new customers to them. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, and and especially like with professionals who they are using a, a back catalog, they're accessing a back catalog a lot more often than say you know someone who's just casually documenting things that happen in their life. So it becomes a very important problem to be able to go back and and say, oh yeah, I had this client ask me for this photo of this red car that was from you know 1997, and I need it now, and to be able to find it easily. To me, it seems like the key to be able to to unlock all this. I never used Aperture, but Apple coming out with an app for professionals and then abandoning it, that's a pretty serious problem. Yeah. Yeah, considering how, how good the app was. Yeah. Um, because um, 
there, there was there was something truly remarkable about this app. And um, it, it, when you, I mean, we are building a we are building a catalog right now with Pitto, and uh, and and we understand how complicated it is to do that really really well. And sometimes you look at Aperture and say, oh well, they had it done like that, and it mm. just was really really well thought. So yeah, it was a great, really great app. Um, it's a mystery of, uh, I mean, you know, they, they, it's Apple. <laughs> it's Apple. They had other priorities at the time. And, uh, yeah. That's one of the good things as well about them is that they can choose, even a company like that, they sometimes choose priorities uh, and it's very brutal to some people, but uh, they, yeah. they, they surely know where they are going. Okay. Matthew Cup, the company is Syme and the apps we were discussing are Peak2 and Avalanche. Um, this is fascinating because I never really understood what's behind all of this. I mean, I understood why these things can't be interoperable the way digital music files can be. But I didn't realize how subtle the changes were. Like you said, you're testing to make photos match to figure it out. And that's really fascinating. So link in the show notes to Syme and you should definitely try out this software if you want to escape the Adobe Industrial Complex or Capture One or anything else. Matthew, thank you very much for talking with us. Thank you for, for having a chance to talk about our products. And yeah, please visit our website. And we have trial versions for all these applications. And we are also a small company who, who values the relationship with uh, customers and, and prospects. So if you have questions about anything, you can just ask. And we'll reply very, very quickly. Okay, thanks. Wonderful, thank you. Thanks a lot. I want to add that Simon has provided a special discount for photoactive listeners. Get 20% off of Peak2 or Avalanche through July 23rd, 2023 by using the code PHOTOACTIVE20 when you purchase from them. That's PHOTOACTIVE, all one word, two zero. Shall we move on to snapshots? I kind of feel like we're swapping places here because I have a photo book. <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? So uh, the photo book that I got is called Photo Breakdowns by Greg Williams. And it is a book of celebrity portraits, basically. He's He's been a uh, celebrity photographer for, I think, 20 or 30 years. And most of them are in black and white, not all of them. But they're all very, very um, – what's a good way to say it? Like they're celebrity photos, but they don't seem posed. They don't seem like they have real extravagant productions. And Part of what he talks about is the fact that he basically shows up where they are and he carries, I think, two Leica cameras with him and doesn't have lighting modifiers most of the time. It's just using what's there. And what's nice about this is that you have a photo and you have a little bit of story behind it. And a lot of the descriptions kind of boil down to, I've been doing this for so long, I have a good eye and I could just see that this would be a great moment to take a picture, which like it almost comes across as a cop-out except that the quality level is really high. And you can see that he has been doing this a long time and therefore that knowledge and experience really translate into good photos. I would say it's not as interesting as like the um, uh, Gregory Heisler. He has a, a book of photos of portraits where he goes into more detail about how things were made, but those are also more constructed. You have sort of on, on one end, you have 
like the Andy Leibovitz, highly produced, lots of assistance, lots of lighting, you know, photocompositing, all that kind of stuff. This is a lot more just nice, almost impromptu. I wouldn't say it's entirely impromptu, but a lot of the, the photos end up being that way. It's a big Heavy hardcover book, uh, really nicely printed. Uh, it costs like $55 on Amazon. I'm sure you can probably get it on a sale. Kirk, what do you have this week? My snapshot this week is Amazon's Kindle Scribe. I read a lot of books and I like using a Kindle because it's a single-use device. If I'm reading a book on a Kindle instead of my iPad, I don't get distracted by notifications or get an itch to go check Twitter or something else. Now, I originally bought the Kindle Scribe when it was released, and I think it was 360 pounds. I wanted a bigger device than the Kindle Oasis, which is what I had been using previously. The Oasis is okay, but since I use large fonts, it means that there's not a lot of content on each page. And the Kindle Scribe gives me what's more like a hardcover book page. So the big selling point of the scribe is that you can write on it, hence the term scribe, and make notes and have notebooks. And I have no use for that. I just wanted a Kindle reading device. So recently, Amazon started offering 20% off Kindles with a trade-in. I had a seven or eight-year-old Kindle Paperwhite that wasn't working very well. So I was very happy to trade it in. And that got me 65 pounds off the price of the Kindle Scribe. I also got 20 pounds for that old Kindle. And I got a 30-pound Kindle credit. So this made the, the Kindle Scribe, I don't know, 220 pounds, something like that, net, which I think is a fair price. Amazon is still offering this 20% discount. So if you have an old Kindle, you might want to consider buying a Kindle Scribe or any other Kindle device um, and getting a 20% discount with a trade-in and getting a few bucks back from your old Kindle. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.